the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Pro-America Report. This is Ryan Height sitting in for Ed Martin here this first segment and glad to be with you on this fine day. Lots to talk about, lots to cover, and lots happening as we are just a few days away here from the Iowa GOP caucus. That is certainly going to be an interesting day, and uh, we'll get into it a little bit here in the first segment. But before we go too much further, let me remind you, head to ProAmericaReport.com. There you can sign up for Ed's Substack, see what he is writing and doing, and go on over to phyllisschlafly.com. You'll find the full archives of this radio program, including the standalones, the full podcast, all the guests, links, and resources, notes, everything that has transpired around the show. You can find it there and search for it, phyllisschlafly.com and proamericareport.com. And while you're there, phyllisschlafly.com, don't forget, sign up. Uh, that top banner, you will get the wink email every single day to your inbox, every weekday, that is, straight to your inbox, and you will not be disappointed. It'll be quality content, nice and short, really snappy, tell you what you need to know and give you a little boost on the news for your day without taking a bunch of your time uh, or making you go on a wild goose chase uh, for all your own facts. So uh, with that said, we got a great show today, and uh, we're going to get into it here, this first segment, the What You Need to Know. But before then, let me remind you, we've got two great guests you need to stick around for, then we'll come back and wrap up the show here at the end. John Schlafly is going to join us today. Also, Drew Allen. Uh, both of them will be with us. So we got get emails from Drew all the time. He's actually got a, uh, a uh, uh, job with the uh, publicists and constantly sending us interesting people, and we decided we need to talk to Drew. Uh, he's an author himself, so I'm excited about that. But um, we've got... Uh, uh, John Schlafly for the Weekly Schlafly Report. Really interesting column this week, actually, on the topic that we're about to dive into. Uh, so let's go ahead and do that uh, with what you need to know. What you need to know is fighting the deep state is our number one issue. It must be our number one issue. And you can call it the deep state, the administrative state, big government, the establishment, uh, fighting that bloated behemoth of bureaucracy. Pardon my alliteration there. It has to be done sometimes. Fighting the bloated behemoth of, of bureaucracy has to be our number one issue as the American public uh, enters into 2024. And we look ahead to the electoral decisions that we must make, whether it's the Iowa caucuses coming up next week or the general election down in November. That is, I believe, and, and I, I strongly feel, and I think many of us agree, the number one issue that we must face. Of course, there are a lot of things happening across the world. There are conflicts, there are wars, there are economies, uh, there are ec uh, economic and trade considerations. Uh, there are so many things happening that we must address. But 
this is where that America first uh, feeling that America first movement really came uh, into its own during the era of Donald Trump. Make America great again. America first pro America. These phrases, it's not original to the Trump campaign. I don't think any of them really are, but they found their resurgence in that era because finally a candidate stood up in 2015, 2016 and said, wait a minute, you know, you, you keep giving us uh, you politicians in the swamp, keep giving us all these little promises on uh, life or marriage on the social issues on the border, on economies, on taxes, and all of these things, if you ever address them, end up being temporary, end up being just uh, non-consequential. They're a drop in the bucket for the massive spending and the huge deficits and the debt that we're racking up. And I believe that was the moment that many people in America said, yes, yes, I agree with that. This is the problem. You you know, you can tell me that we're facing threats uh, from abroad, and and they're true that we face threats from terrorism. We face threats from China. We face that, you know, fill in the blank. Those exist. But the threat of an elite class of people who weasel their way into government, especially the unelected, uh, unaccountable status of, of bureaucrats in the administrative state in America, these people are doing an incredible amount of damage to our nation, to our economy, to our uh, culture that is going to take years, decades to undo. And even then, it's going to take some serious and and probably pretty pretty um, jerking reactions now. It can't just be these soft little things that we make a change here and we make a tweak there. Some serious, harsh course corrections need to be made, and they need to be made now, and they need to be lasting, and they need to be uh, all of these things. They need to be serious, treated seriously, and the political class in America for so long was not treating them seriously, did not treat them with anything but lip service and maybe an obligatory fix here or there. So... The era of Donald Trump coming down that escalator in 2015, saying things that a lot of politicians hadn't said in a very long time, the way that they, well, I should say that they had never said, in a way that politicians hadn't said things in a long time. That really brought this on. But that is a key, uh, a key piece of the 2024 election cycle this year that we are looking at. That is absolutely key. And I think that a lot of people get wrapped up in a certain issue, get wrapped up in a set of issues that have to do with America's standing in the world or with uh, where we are as a nation in trade and, and our alliances, uh, where we are uh, with our alliances with other nations who we, we've, with, with whom we've made treaty. And this connects to Israel. It connects to Ukraine. It connects to all sorts of things that we're getting ourselves involved in. And even though all of these things really do kind of pale in comparison to the massive out-of-control spending. You could call it entitlement spending, welfare spending, the incredible overspending that we do domestically. The reason that you're finding that knee-jerk reaction of no stop, not one more step forward, helping some of these until we clean up here, is because it has gotten so bad uh, here at home. Whether you're looking at the economy that is crushing working families, if you're looking at the border that's wide open and allowing uh, crime, and again, there, that's that's messing with the economy as well. It's allowing the free flow of drugs over the border. It's literally putting at risk the lives of Americans down on the border. Each one of these things, each one of these areas is something that we could have some pretty drastic effect on quickly if our domestic politicians would stand up and look at domestic issues and take a real sledgehammer to this persistent government, this administrative state that has infiltrated especially our executive branch. 
that has got to be the number one issue. And that's a reason why uh, we have things like last night, the debate. Hardly anyone seemed to have watched the debate. Back down to uh, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley only. Uh, Vivek wasn't there. Uh, someone made sure Vivek didn't qualify, it seems, uh, with certain polls. He hosted his own event. Well, he's saying some of these things. He's talking about this huge domestic problem that has to be dealt with and that we can deal with and that must be our priority. When it comes to censorship, when it comes to a government using the just Justice decision, uh, the justice um, uh, system to persecute its own people, to persecute political opponents. These are the things we've got to talk about. These are the things that are most concerning. Uh, we could talk about Ukraine and we could talk about tax reform and these and this and that and the other until we're blue in the face. But all of these huge issues are happening in front of us. They must be addressed. That is why the support for Donald Trump consistently grows as each of these other candidates seems to have an opportunity to debate each other. And, and these issues don't come to the forefront. People are seeing, I, I'm assuming, that these folks aren't really representing my interest because they're not talking about what is most concerning to me now and actually what they have more control over than anything else. Domestic policy. Let's go. Let's start to make some changes. And yet none of them do it. So that is, I believe, a very interesting key. When you put that first, your view of the candidates can definitely change because there are some of them through this whole process, many that are gone now, some that are still here, um, because that's that's even an ever-changing field. Chris Christie just dropping out here. There are an incredible amount of issues to consider, and when you decide to order this priority, defeating this persistent, this almost everlasting administrative deep state, when you consider facing that the number one priority that we have, the choice of who it is that we're going to put in, who it is that is outside the system, that doesn't care about the system, that isn't beholden to the system for their riches or power or influence, uh, that is a very interesting and intriguing thing to think about. And it definitely changes your perspective on who we need there and who you want to support there. This is something that I think is dividing conservatives right now, and we have got to get on the same page. We have got to unite. In fact, we're going to hear from John Schlafly here in a couple of uh, uh, segments about what he and Andy, as they wrote their column this week, what they think, what we need to unite America. Uh, That's where we are. It has to happen. It has to happen. Uh, And and I think that people for too long have cried wolf and said this is the last, this may be the last election. This is the most important election. I really, truly think, folks, that we have entered that era of of that being a sincere possibility of each election being the, the potential to be our last, the most important, because we are teetering on the edge of not ever being able to get control of the issues that are spiraling here in America, particularly on the economic front, as our debt and deficit are are just crushing, and it's almost impossible to find a way out without just coming in and shutting the whole thing down and doing nothing but paying the debt. It it is getting extreme, and we need someone who will handle it, not with kid gloves, but with a sledgehammer, who will do what needs to be done, no matter what the political ruling class says uh, in, in both of the parties. That has to happen. That has got to be our priority this year. Our way of life itself is at stake. So I just wanted to take a moment before the Iowa caucuses to uh, reinforce that, our, our, our uh, priorities as Americans, I think where we need to be focused. And thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of this Pro-America Report every day, listening, being considerate and thoughtful. We appreciate you. Come on back right after the break here at Pro-America Report. Uh, we are going to get into a couple of great issues. Go to phyllislafley.com, proamericareport.com, find all the stuff in the meantime. We will see you back here on the other side of the break.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. John Schlafly joins us now. He's had a busy week. He was out in the swamp. Uh, he was uh, attending one of the arguments, the uh, the Court of Appeals argument uh, regarding a presidential immunity. He was in New Jersey uh, at uh, a January 6th commemoration uh, celebration. Some of the families of prisoners were there, hostages, as uh, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik referred to them. And, uh, and now he's back in the heartland and survived. Survived a couple of plane rides and the window, the doors didn't fall off. So congratulations on that, John. That's important. Uh, but, John, um, you know, we're into another election cycle. Can you believe it? It's four years later. Iowa caucus is just a few days away. Um, you know, it was uh, 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 it was it seems like yesterday, a minute ago that it was 2016 and this was going on. What's your sense of the primary? What's your sense of, you know, the Iowa caucus as you've been a, a close observer of them for decades now? Uh, where do you think this is? Do you think that it matters that um, uh, Chris Christie quit the race? Uh, it doesn't matter much to anybody, but we'll see. But what are you where are your thoughts right now? Uh, well, I think, you know, well, my sense of it is that uh, uh, President Trump has pretty much got a lock on the nomination. I don't think there's really any doubt about that. And the the others are just scrapping for crumbs, uh, and they're not doing very well. And I think they're ending the campaign worse off than when they started, to be honest about it. Each of these people had certain talents, and but they've diminished themselves by this campaign. And uh, anyway, of course, we'll see what happens on Sunday when it's expected to be, or Monday when it's the the forecast is zero or less in Iowa. So we'll see yeah. those hardy people of Iowa turn out to the caucuses. Yeah, so that's... So I have high hopes for them. Uh, they they rise to the occasion every four years to go through this scenario, and. Well, you know, I, I can I can I sometimes get in trouble with our friends from Iowa when I describe how somewhere around a hundred million dollars will be spent to have somewhere under two hundred thousand people caucus. I mean, it's a it's a strange system, uh, you know, all told the the. Um, and it will knock out as it's done. It will knock at least one, probably two or three people out of the race. It's an incredible power for Iowa. Um, and, and I, you know, I'm not sure it's the best system, but it is a system we've got. All right, John, back to lawfare. You know, you were again, you were in the courthouse uh, during the arguments uh, on presidential immunity to the Court of Appeals. Seemed like a hostile panel. The three judges were not particularly uh, sympathetic, at least in their lines of questioning. It's always hard to read. Uh, but the same thing, same, same um uh, in this same week that there's this key argument at the highest level of, of uh, federal courts, the news breaks that in Georgia, uh, the prosecutor, I mean, did she pull a, uh, a, a, a Gardner, a Kim Gardner in, in, uh, in, in St. Louis, uh, St. Louis, Kim Gardner, the former prosecutor there, she hired a, I think it was a boyfriend or maybe it just was a ran- a friend, um, who maybe it wasn't a boyfriend. I shouldn't say that, but it was somebody who was randomly a special prosecutor to get, to get Eric Greitens, which it did work. Um, I, this appears to be a Soros, uh, you know, uh, uh, D, uh, uh, Manhattan district attorney, is it Alvin Bragg? He brought in a DOJ hack, uh, uh, Colangelo, uh, a political hack to go up there to do the dirty work. It looks like the Soros people don't actually, you know, do the work themselves. They bring in people. But what happens in Georgia now with well, uh, with Fannie? Yes, and let's not forget the special counsel Jack Smith also brought in a team of outside uh, hotshot lawyers. He doesn't do the writing or the speaking himself. He's got his is very bright people to do that who were 
who've been assigned to his team. And so that's the way this game works. And uh, there was a very powerful brief that's been filed that says he, Jack Smith was not properly appointed in the first place. Mm-hmm. He was appointed by the attorney general, not the president. And that matters. Now, the courts have so far not been willing to address that, but at some point they'll have to face that. Uh, the process, the United States, uh, dis, uh, United States attorneys who are authorized to prosecute people on behalf of the United States are appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. But, but Jack Smith was not appointed by the president and he was not confirmed by the Senate. He was a private citizen who was assigned to this task by Merrick Garland. Well, that's not what the law says. And at some point, some court is going to have to look at that and expose that for the and and invalidate the whole thing. I believe. Uh, but, John, John, but back, but back to Fanny, back to Fanny in Georgia, where it looks like we we have. It's not just speculation. We have clear, uh, you know, convincing, uh, publicly uh, reviewable evidence that that the prosecutor in Georgia hired a special counsel, not a criminal guy. It turns out it's it's her paramour. So there's a romantic relationship. But they also were in the White House. They were they were in the White House uh, at least meeting with Kamala Harris, if not somebody else. I mean, what happens next? In that matter, well, they were found. Uh, one of them was found on the visitor log at the White House. Now, yeah, I'm not sure uh, whether who exactly substance of the meeting, but uh, that really does suggest strongly that, uh, which of course we always suspected, which is that the the Biden team is behind all of this, which is totally improper. They have no business doing that. This, there's nothing federal about what. Fannie Willis is doing. In fact, of course, uh, Mark Meadows, who was Trump's chief of staff, said he was a federal uh, employee and therefore he had the right to be tried in federal court. Now, the federal judge said, no, he's he's got that on appeal and he's got the uh, federal appellate court reconsidering that. So uh, you can't have it both ways here. Uh, either this is a state prosecution or a federal prosecution. That matters. And Fannie Willis... <laughs> Hiring this person, of course, you know, the truth is, way this all came out, is that the boyfriend is involved in a divorce. And, of course, the, you know, the way you can protect yourself is don't get divorced. But, all right, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the boy, you know, and his, you know, soon-to-be ex-wife does not like what happened. She does not like being uh, replaced in her husband's affections by Fannie Willis. And I, and frankly, I don't blame her. Do you? I don't blame her. For <laughs> well, I haven't met, way. I haven't met him, but I mean, certainly, you know, what, what is the, uh, isn't it Shakespeare, you know, a woman scorned? I mean, here we go. Right. So, yeah, exactly. uh, I, I mean, <laughs> you know, you, you, you made the bed or you, you got out of the bed now, uh, lying it. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, it, it's, uh, what happens though, John, what happens in a matter like this? I mean, it's, uh, it, you know, it, it makes me wonder, um, exactly what could, you know, what can be, um, what can what what can be here? Can you really go ahead with a case where you've got no, such? You cannot go right. ahead with the case now. Uh, two of two of them have already settled, and I guess that's probably final. But uh, the other sixteen, I think Trump had eighteen co-defendants, and uh, you know they're all pending. And this motion, this one of the, it's one of the other eighteen defendants who got the goods and uh, laid it all out. 
Uh, now, he doesn't have documentary proof, but he's got strong circumstantial evidence. And because the documentary proof has to come from the hired attorney's divorce proceedings, which is currently sealed. But that will have to come out in order that because the Judge McAfee, who's presiding over the case of Trump and the other 18 defendants, he'll have to hold a hearing. And they'll have to have an evidentiary hearing. And that means he'll have to have witnesses and documents. And first of all, this is all this is complete uh, haymaker and into the whole case. All this will come out. It'll have to come out. There's no way anything can go forward until we, you know, air all of this dirty linen. Got to happen. Is it? Does it get thrown out then, John? Does it get? I mean, is that what happens in a matter like well, this? Uh, that will, of course, that will be up to Judge McAfee, and it'll be up to whether the motion is supported by the evidence at the hearing. It looks pretty strong to me. You know, mm-hmm. if the evidence is there, as alleged in the motion, I think, yes, it will have to be thrown out because, yeah, I mean, it's a completely corrupt and intolerable situation. And uh, as Judge McAfee has his own reputation to be concerned about. Right. Well, that's I, I, I yeah. over a fair proceeding. Yeah. And he cannot let this go forward with a, you know, he may have to take it away from the elected district attorney and say, well, we have to have a special counsel come in to see if there's anything left. And mm-hmm. uh, of course that would, and would delay the whole thing a year. At least. Yeah. Yeah. If they, if they can even find a special counsel. Right, right. All right, John, time flies. John Schlafly, everybody, go to phyllisschlafly.com. His columns are archived there. Uh, his, uh, his, uh, he and his brother Andy write a weekly column, phyllisschlafly.com. we got to run, though. We're on a break. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Of course, you've heard me talk about the many, many writings of the late Phyllis Schlafly, and she was prolific. And one of the things that she started doing, and, and, and our next guest is Sue Kunstman, who's the editor of the Education Reporter, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles Education Reporter. And Phyllis Schlafly started writing the Ed Reporter, we call it, the Education Reporter, many, many years ago. Sue will fill us in on exactly how many. Uh, but the idea was on the question of education – tracking what's going on the issues um a couple of the of the the ways that phyllis knew the importance of the education issue was for example what the texas school board did in terms of purchasing textbooks for decades because they were the by far the largest purchaser they would influence what was in textbooks um another example is uh for many many years uh the late phyllis Schlafly would send in a spy into the uh, national education association's annual meeting that's the union one of the teachers unions and and get reported back now most of those used to be secret meetings they, they broadcast most of it now so it's a little easier to see what they're up to and they're and they're more even more brazen than they were about their resolutions and all. So anyway, the education reporter, which if you go, I'll put a link up on social media. It's at the Phyllis Schlafly.com. Uh, and you can go uh, into, you can see the link at the top. Um, and Sue Kunzman is the editor of the education reporter. Welcome, Sue. How are you? I'm good, Ed. Thanks for having me on. So what is that history? How many years ago did they start the Ed Reporter? Do you, is there one specific time? Oh, Phyllis wrote about education in her Phyllis Schlafly reports for ed, for years. But uh, what do we cite back to the uh, to the year for the Ed Reporter? 
Well, of course, Phyllis's uh, interest in education goes way back to when her children were small and she taught them to read herself right, uh, right. using phonics, of course. But actually, she started the Education Reporter as a print mailed publication in 1986. Wow. So listeners can see that, that as far back as 1986, Phyllis was chronicling what was going on in education and, you know, the, the continued leftward slant of, of, of the curriculum and as you mentioned, the textbooks. And so a lot of what's going on today, we have built on what she started back in 1986. So in other words, we have a continuous line of research and and reporting that, you know, dates back to then. And we can see that most of the things that are going on in the schools today are not new. They've simply been taken a step further and a step further and a step further. Well, and that's what I was going to say. We're talking to Sue Kunstman, who's the editor of the, uh, the the Education Reporter, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles Education Reporter. I was going to say that. What's old is new, right? What's new is old. I mean, in some ways, you, you see the same. You, sometimes the names have changed. They've changed the names a little bit. You know, there was a time where Common Core was called different things. And um, But but one part of that that I wonder, uh, Sue, when you uh, – and, you know, you, now we have um, – for, for a period of time, Phyllis Schlafly was sort of the main writer. She would sometimes have others contribute. But now we've got people that contribute. Uh, we've got book re- uh, um, book reviews and different things. But when you look at that history, have we lost ground or are we just fighting the same ground over and over again? How would you feel about that? Well, I think to the extent that they, as you pointed out earlier, that they have gotten more blatant. I think it's gotten worse. Uh-huh. However. However, I, I do think that it's the same thing over and over. And, and what has happened is there's been a continuous trend toward not teaching academics. I, I think that's the key today that people under, need to understand is that it has become a matter of training activists as mm-hmm. opposed to educating for a child's future or for future citizens. And, and you're right. We have had some some very uh, good people weigh in in the education reporter, like, for example, Dr. Mary Byrne, who is a right. very influential um, researcher and reporter on education issues. Also, Dr. Miriam Grossman, right. who is an eminent uh, child and adolescent psychiatrist. She's also an author. She's written two great books. And uh, we were able to interview her in our November issue. So um, if anyone wants to access Education Reporter and check that out, um, you know, it's very informative and and scary. So, uh, yes, I I think things have gotten worse. The good news is parents are more in tune to it. Now parents see what is going on. They see that their children are not being educated but rather indoctrinated. And another thing we, we report on regularly is all these wonderful parents groups that have sprung up. Uh, right. Moms for Liberty. We've, we've spoken with Tiffany Justice, that, who heads that wonderful group. Um, um, parents Defending Education. There are just so many now. And, and so it's very heartening because these groups are, are national and, and they're reaching national audiences. So I think there's two things going on. One is that um, the education system has moved even further to the left and gotten worse as far as indoctrination rather than education. But on the other hand, we have a lot of, of, of parents who have, have uh, woken up and, and, and see what's going on. 
Uh, again, we're talking with uh, Sue Kunstman, and if you go to phyllisschlafly.com and click through, there's a, a tab there, Education Reporter, and you'll see lots of times, in fact, lots of the, we mentioned earlier, the uh, John and Andy Schlafly, Schlafly Report will also write on the topic of uh, of uh, education and schools and all. Uh, it's interesting, you know, they, we've had lots of different guests and lots of different people talk about the question of homeschooling, private schooling, uh, public schooling, but the reality is that most people have said that they you can't give up on the public schools. And I think that's an important part of this. Yes. Yes. However, I will say that uh, homeschooling has really taken a jump. Um, There's also a new phenomenon that can in some ways be attributed to the teachers who have gotten so disgusted with what's going on in the public schools that they have broken away from the public schools and started what are called micro schools. Right. These are small groups generally of students that could learn um, perhaps in a person's home, in a hall, uh, anywhere they can, they can find to meet. And um, you know, it's, it's becoming a viable alternative. So we've reported on that as well. Yeah, so, and, and, and well, and, and the, the thing that's uh, the, the thing that's uh, surprising to me is after COVID, I, I thought like there was a lot of energy, and 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 people were really never going to go back to what I think was the um, was the fail the failure so dramatically of the schools, or or maybe people seeing the failure, and yet uh, a lot of people did. And I, and I, again, my point in that is not to say not to uh, to critique people. And in fact, when you look at the Education Reporter, we're talking again with Sue Kunzman, who's the editor you, you know the resources there if you're in the public schools there's resources that you have to be able to access to say make it better control it i mean um and and i, I you know we've always maintained and phyllis did you can you know if you can do it homeschooling great if you can do private school great but if you can't you are where you are and we've got to figure it out and i think that's one yeah. of the things to be able to say is um where you know how do we get the resources to to help people do that um Sue, is the uh, is the school um, the uh, moms movements, you know, Moms for Liberty, Moms for America. um, Is that even in your, you know, the last about three or four years that you've been editing the education reporter since Phyllis passed away? um, Is is do they look as strong as they seem? I mean, are they as strong as they look? And that's what I meant to say. They they seem like they've got a lot of energy. Well, I think so. I, I think some of them more so than others, and and that's to be expected. Um, I think Moms for Liberty certainly. I, I know. I just saw something that they put out recently where they're planning additional growth. They're hiring people, so um, I, I think they are a very strong group for sure. I think Parents Defending Education is a really good group, and those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head. But there are others that maybe not as influential on a national basis, but are working at the local level. I know in California, there are a number of, of parents groups that are very active, although you may not necessarily know them, you know, nationally. Right. So I, I just think it depends. I think I'm hopeful that they will grow stronger rather than go the other way. Um, I, I think as long as, is the schools continue to push you know, critical race theory, uh, comprehensive sex education, push the transgender agenda, all of those things, which we write about, of course. Um, I, I think parents are going to stay engaged because I think that most parents, while some parents, of course, go along with it, I think most parents don't want their kids learning that stuff. They want them 
to learn right. to read and write and do math and they they want them to be prepared for careers and 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 for life in general and yeah. and they see that that's not happening well um as they the old uh, saw is knowledge is power knowledge is power and if you go to the ed reporter the education reporter at phyllislafway.com sue kunzman's been our guest she's the editor of that there's a lot of different knowledge a lot of uh, knowledge that can be powerful understanding what's going on the ed reporter uh both online and you can get uh, a paper copy print out a paper copy and um so go check that out phyllislafway.com thank you sue for your time we're out of time uh we've got to take a break and we'll be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report we'll be back in a moment this is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The will of the people, as expressed by outcomes of heavily funded ballot initiatives, is a canard that should be rejected by all Americans, especially conservatives. Direct democracy was feared and opposed by our nation's founders who established a representative government for the United States and guaranteed, quote, a Republican form of government, end quote, to each of its member states. Yet Republican presidential candidates seem to misunderstand this crucial point, as reflected by their senseless responses to questions about Ohio's abortion and marijuana ballot initiatives. Ron DeSantis, for example, unjustifiably blamed the pro-life movement for being caught flat-footed by issue one, which focused on abortion. But he failed to mention that God-given rights should not be decided by a popular vote. Republicans should be defending representative government against misuse of the ballot initiative process, which allows out-of-state industries and liberal billionaires to pass laws contrary to the informed decision-making of each state's elected representatives. Ohio's Issue 1 benefits the billion-dollar abortion industry, while Issue 2 profits the expanding marijuana industry by invading Ohio with a predicted $4 billion pot market. Fortunately, some members of the Ohio State Legislature have risen up against this misuse of the ballot initiative process, which would change the culture of the Buckeye State. America was founded so that the people's will may be properly expressed through the political process. Ballot initiatives are deceptive in this way. While they may seem to simply be a way to increase democracy in a more direct manner, they provide an avenue for special interest to exert their will on citizens. The passage of issues one and two in Ohio should be credited to the out-of-state industries and liberal billionaires, not to an organic expression of the public will or public desire in a constitutional and American manner. From Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin. Election fraud has the power to destroy the America we know and love. Never again can we allow an election to be stolen. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll find reasonable, workable strategies for assuring the integrity of every future election. Visit phyllisschlafly.com today. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Very interesting topic uh, to discuss as we uh, wrap things up, and that topic is uh, the arguments that are happening in the Court of Appeals right now and probably to the Supreme Court uh, on the question of presidential immunity. So 
it has long been held that a president may not be uh, sued uh, during office, may not be charged during office, uh, especially, well, let's say it better. There's immunity uh, civilly for a president for what he does. In other words, you can't um, sue a president for some uh, a civil cause of action um, and that he is immune then out of office for things that he did when he was in office. In other words, you can't have a president get sued for uh, um, some action that he took and be held liable by a fellow citizen. And so the immunities existed. The question that before the courts right now is on criminal uh, liability, and, and it has not been tested before. So it, you can say, well, it's clearly established that there is civil immunity, but uh, for the president, presidential immunity, but that hasn't been tested on criminal. And the question is, is it different? And here's the thing, as always, as, not always, as often happens, as often is the case, President Trump clarifies with one uh, post on the truth social platform, the very heart of the matter, because he says, look, I did I did what I was doing while I was president. You can't criminalize the conduct of the president of the United States. You just can't do it because he won't be able to do anything. And the system will break down. But then what he says is, if this is what you guys want, well, then Joe Biden's going to be charged. Right. Joe Biden has a problem at the border. He's ignored the border crisis, fentanyl, the ongoing crisis. And he says, so I guess, you know, we're going to charge me, going to charge him. And the real unstated I wouldn't say threat, but the unstated description of reality by Trump is, is if this is what you want, you end up with a system that is just basically uh, whoever gets into power throws the other one in jail. And again, our system, America, our crown jewel is the is the rule of law. It's the uh, it's the Constitution and it's the founding values that understand how these things work and how human nature works, that you cannot ask someone to be the top level executive, the person in charge and have them always looking over his shoulder. There is a solution for wrongdoing by a president, and it's called impeachment. And, and if you're impeached, you could be barred from serving again. But it can't be that you're looking over your shoulder. The the founders of this country, miraculously, and I believe it was miraculous. I believe it was divinely inspired. They they were able to to utilize an, an understanding. They let's say it better. They had an understanding of the psychology of men, of men and women, and of people, and how they operate together. You know, how they work in a, in a setting as a society and otherwise. And so when they put in place this idea that, you know, you're going to be the president, you're going to be in a position where you're going to have to have the ability to not be looking over your shoulder, not be worried about everything, that it's going to hold you back, that it's going to be just whoever gets power next indicts the next guy and back and forth and back and forth. Instead, it's going to be this idea of uh, of of immunity that's going to be expressed the time you're in office and that's what that's what the question is and this this uh this week in uh, washington there's uh, arguments at the court of appeals because at the at the um at the lower court uh when trump said you know i'm immune from these charges in this in the uh, in this case the judge denied that but then said yes you're allowed to appeal and so he's up on appeal and so that's what they're looking at and again trump cuts through it are you really going to have it be that uh, each president is going to have to what charge the next president. Each president is going to have to give a uh, pardon each, each of his predecessors. Is that the deal? You come into office and you say, I pardon you or, you know, uh, or on the way out the door, you pardon yourself. That's the other way it could be done.
Yeah. Every time you're leaving, you have to sign. It has to be that there's immunity. It has to be. It has to be that there's immunity for the people, for the pe- men and women. There hasn't been a woman yet, but that will be serving as president of the United States. That system, otherwise the system breaks down. Now, will the D.C. Court of Appeals have the courage to do the right thing on this? No, no. There's a bunch of liberal leaning judges that were appointed. They will definitely not do that. They will definitely not be doing that. They will be they will be um, caving in to the pressure of their appointments. They're, they're, they're the panel that's hearing Trump's arguments right now is uh, two Biden appointed judges and one I think Trump appointed or could have been George W. Bush. But so th- they're, they're not going to do the right thing on this, but it's going to have to go up on appeal. It's going to have to go up on appeal and it's going to be uh, therefore um uh, you know, um, handled by the Court of Appeals. And ultimately, as John Schlafly was just saying to me, it's definitely a, the uh, a, a court of uh, first impression. A, a, I mean, excuse me, it's a it's a case of first impression, and therefore it will be a ripe uh, uh, for the Supreme Court to take it up. And they, you can expect the Supreme Court to take it up. How fast? Different question. And will the lower court... Judge Chutkin, will she say, you know what, I, I stayed things so you could appeal it, but I don't have to let it be a, a stayed forever. Let's just go do this case. Let's do this trial while you're appealing things. I think that's what she wants to do. We'll see if she'll ha- if she has the chutzpah to do that. So um, uh, one to watch. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. As always, thank you to Noah. Uh, Noah. Wow, that's funny. And I was going to say Noah Dingley, my old producer. Thank you to Ryan Height for our producing, produ- producing the program, staying on top of these things. Mason Mohan, uh, associate producing, and all of you for listening. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there uh, for my long form writing and visit PhyllisSchlafly.com. You'll find both the sign up for our daily email, the wink, as well as you can track the John and Andy Schlafly columns and uh, all the other things that are present on the uh, Phyllis Schlafly, Phyllis Schlafly dot com website. I just was reviewing a column that Phyllis wrote in 1992 before Bill Clinton was elected, describing what Bill Clinton hoped to do and how problematic it was. Uh, to say she was prescient is uh, an understatement. She was really amazing at seeing what things really uh, meant and what was happening. So. That's all I've got. We'll talk tomorrow. It's Ed Martin, Pro America. Talk to you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 